0: This is Corn Stars, part of the Herpetoculture Network, with your hosts Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics and Chris Payne Shadow Badlands Herpetoculture. Enjoy.
1: 90s techno that I love so much. That's good. That's actually, I mean, it, that works out. Like, that's what I, when I'm writing or something, I just put on like the worst, cheapest, like late 90s, early 2000s electronic stuff. That's like yeah. the stuff you'd hear in a TJ Maxx or a Ross or something.
2: <laughs> I, I've melded into a, a hip hop lo fi uh, yeah. live streams, dude. Just jam it and just get to work.
1: Those and, two. And... Yep.
3: There was a study that was done that they said that like if you really need to have good concentration background music to do like 8 bit video game music yeah because really? that's that stuff was designed to like keep you in that oh. focused mindset when you were playing oh. the games
2: yeah that makes sense
1: it doesn't make sense i've never been into the 8 the bit thing though i've never well but like never did much for me He's a little too young, Dr. Wine. Yeah, sorry. You're, you're
3: too I had a young game to boy to have been playing on the Nintendo, but you know.
1: I had a Game okay. Boy color.
2: I had you a, a rocket stick, it. and I was lucky to have both those at the same time. Okay.
1: I had to borrow the rock from my mom. It was her
2: favorite rock. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh. Well, welcome, everybody. This is episode four of Corn Stars, which is brought to you by BlackBoxCages.com. So BlackBox, whoops, right here. Uh, BlackBoxCages.com is a network sponsor because uh, we haven't done an episode here for like, what, a month or two, two months, something like that. So a yeah. little bit's changed. Uh, BlackBox.com. Please check them out. Racks, Cages, you need them, check them out. Um, going to Atlanta this weekend with Jake. We're gonna Black box is gonna be there vending at the Show Me Snakes Marietta show, and uh, we're gonna be picking up some stuff for ourselves and it's gonna be a good weekend off. I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, so check them out, Facebook and Instagram and then blackbox blackboxcages.com. and then uh, our buddy JT or buddies, I should say JT and Mindy at Silent Hill Reptiles. give them a shout. Uh, he's got some Absolutely. awesome stuff getting paired up. I'm very excited to see what he produces. And I'm also kind of terrified as to what he's going to be producing because <laughs> it's all just so damn nice. It's hard. And, you know, you, you, you scroll through Morph Market, you scroll through like VMS and stuff like that. And you just, if money were no option, man, you'd just be buying it all. Yeah. It's crazy.
2: Yeah. JT's got are. a huge lineup this year of what he's yeah. going to be producing. It's, and it, some of it's just absolutely spectacular. Uh, anybody's going to be lucky to get a hand in their hands on any of that it's and he's he's cheap man uh for what it's worth as far as uh snake pricing goes uh, he's very reasonable and damn good genetics
1: yeah he's uh i'm i'm thoroughly convinced that you know from now until in the you know the foreseeable future like he's gonna be one of the top top producers of corn snakes just the stuff he's oh, doing yeah. it's just it's so it's so choice and you know just awesome stuff the, what I have from him currently is is phenomenal um definitely planning on getting more so oh
0: yeah oh yeah uh
1: but uh this episode we're going to be talking about line breeding a little bit with our buddy Dr. Travis Wyman um I figured this would be a good like we hear line breeding a lot not even just in corns but with carpets and other stuff um, so I figured this would be kind of be a good opportunity to sort of break it down. Uh, apparently there's a giant wasp on the wall right there. He's <laughs> hanging out.
2: Our fourth guest,
1: woman. uh giant wasp. Yeah. Uh, giant ahead, come in. Jimmy, Jimmy, the giant wasp. We'd love to hear about your lean. I don't know. I'm not and, If you're uh, expecting me to like kill it or something. I ain't that thing. That looks like a murder hornet. I ain't touching it. I was going to say, is it Maurice the murder hornet? It's freaking huge, whatever it is. Go ahead. Bring Maurice in. Uh, You know, we got your outdoors in the garage. These things happen. (laughs) Yeah, I do
2: want to go ahead and and give a little personal shout out. I have some sponsors of my own. Uh, Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's going to be anxiety, depression, and male pattern baldness. Uh, Hey, guys, y'all are really kicking me in the fucking balls. I really appreciate it. Uh, (laughs) Life's life. Shout out to your
1: dentist that you went to today, too.
2: Huge shout out to the five feelings I got today. Uh, You're the best, right? Like, tell me more about beer and cigarettes. Give me the tooth. Show the tooth,
1: Yeah, they were they were like you should when I went not that long ago. They were like you should consider not smoking anymore. I was like,
2: mm. "You should, should consider watching your tone before I sign this fucking bill."
1: Yeah. Yeah. Check yourself, Dr. Pepe. <laughs> She's awesome though. Yeah. Shout out to Port Royal Dentistry. Um yeah so line breeding we're gonna talk about that a little well a lot a bit um, sort of get Travis's take on it since that's I guess relevant to your realm in a sense I don't I feel like we say you're a geneticist and stuff all the time and you're kind of like you're in it but you're not like in it in it if that makes any sense like it it's makes not, sense. I mean it's, it's not like your direct line like general genetics are not like your direct line of work but you are.
3: <laughs> no, but for my direct line of work I have to understand general genetics. So while it's not the work that I do directly, right. it's it's part of my wheelhouse to get there. So
1: Well, you're also just a, a smart dude with sage wisdom that we I feel like we're always asking you very simple questions.
0: Or you just get my
1: opinion on things, whether or not you
2: ask them. That too, <laughs> hey, that's good.
1: That works. Chris, what are you smoking?
2: Oh, I have the uh, one of those Herrera Esteli oh, uh, yeah. Habanos. Man, this these are good. good.
1: They are very good.
2: I think I got one or two left. This is my last one. I might have one more after this, but yeah, they're delicious.
1: I got a handful from the last event we did with them, and uh, they didn't last very long. They what were...
2: a good cigar! What a just a good
1: phenomenal man for the price. They're. They're really hard to beat. They're very good.
2: Lots of complexity, lots of flavor, and, and something that's not too crazy.
1: Yeah. Uh, breeding updates, though. Chris, what do you got going on? Man. We'll, we'll jump into that real quick, and then we'll move on to the meat and potatoes.
2: You know, our record for this show, I'll, I'll talk about corn snakes and, and, and the like. Uh, I have a gravid female. Um, so when I took everything out of Brumation this year, uh, I went ahead and started pairing after the third meal. Uh, I like to do that because sometimes females do ovulate a little early after brumation. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people talk about that. Some people don't. Some people are strict on the, after the first shed thing, uh, with some species, uh, I think that you want to pair before the first shed, uh, with snakes, I think you're, fa- you're fine. You're, you're okay. Uh, a cat just walked in my garage. It freaked me out. I've never, I almost had a heart attack. So y'all gremlins. Know. Um, yep. That's skittles. The neighborhood cat, uh, Sorry. Uh, but, yeah, so with with uh, most with some species, you want to go ahead and pair early. I did that with some of my corns. Uh, but it turns out that worked because a pair that I got from JT at Silent Hill, uh, hey. JT and Mindy, uh, my Caramel uh, Miamis, which it's uh, genetics specifically on those, are uh, Caramel, uh, Poshet Cinder, Poshet Diffuse, both 100% Het kissed, so Het Honey. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they have the Miami, you know, we call it lineage, but maybe when we talk about that a little bit more, uh, it's Miami phase uh, because they may not may not actually have direct Miami lineage in them uh, because the phase uh, is a thing. Um, but my female is gravid; um, looks like she's getting ready to go into her uh, uh, post-lay or pre-lay Excuse me. Um, I've seen a lot of activity out of everything else. I've paired up my uh, Cinder Tessera, Het Diffuse male to a uh, diffuse het. I'm sorry, charcoal tessera het diffused uh, male. That's uh, Mr. Gray. Uh, he paired up to a uh, blood red, old school blood red pied uh, het charcoal female. She just had her shot a couple days ago, so they've just started doing their thing. And then I have a pewter, um, which is going to be charcoal and diffuse combined that I've paired to her, uh, paired to him. Uh, and she had her post. Uh, post-brumation shed maybe two weeks ago so they've been they've been uh looking pretty good she's already pretty Mm -hmm. swollen i don't know if that's kind of just an apparent ovulation yeah or if if she may be in the early signs of uh, gravidity i don't know if that's word to word now go ahead and coin that hit me up if anybody wants the nft uh (laughs) trademark trademark it is now gravidity um uh shirts will be dropping uh it's going to be a hot drop uh they're going to be like supreme collab but you know, whatever. Uh, my main male, uh, Mac, uh, he is a Ultramel, uh, Motley, Tessera, Het Annery. Um, he has paired already to my Amel Motley girl. I don't know if she's Het Annery. We're going to find out this year. Uh, raised her from Little Squiggle. Um, he's paired up to my JNG line Ghost, uh, which is something we're going to be talking about, uh, because she is what is old school known as Aztec. Uh, which is an aberrancy that happens, uh, but it's not a recessive trait. So maybe we can get into that.
1: It was Tessera um, before it was Tessera. It was Tessera before it was Tessera. This is, <laughs>
2: this is old school as to, uh, but she is, uh, JMG line, uh, ghost. So she's hypo, annery and, uh, red coat. Um, some people call them salmon. Some call them super salmon. Some people call them corals. Uh, yeah. I don't think your name, but it's very the, confusing. Uh, it's, it's worth the, uh, an
1: entire episode.
2: Yeah. So. The, the, it's the dominant reggie. Uh, and then he is also paired to, uh, a ghost female, uh, a beautiful little girl I got from Joe Phelan who I, I paired him once and don't actually plan on pairing them again. Uh, now that I've, I, I've had that pair going, I'm kind of looking at all of my pairings and thinking, you know, maybe, maybe we don't push that one too hard. Um, and then I've got a male stripe, uh, anery, um, unknown hets due to his mother. Now, he's going to be a son of Mac, who I was just talking about, that has been showing some promising signs to his mother, uh, who is an annery het-stripe, pos-het, sun kiss, pos, het sunkiss, pos het hypo. And he is gorgeous. Uh, I send pictures to you all the time of him. Big, huge, yellow throat that goes all the way down to his midriff. Um, and it looks like they've been getting real comfy. Uh, and then along those same lines, uh, my uh, Sluwinski eye, uh, which will lump kind of in the corn family uh, i have a pair of uh, wild types that are het annery, het silver leaf uh, that look like they've been getting the business on and then i've got a silver leaf female uh, that's het annery also um, and she's going into her first shed the other two shed really quick after brumation and it looks like they were pretty uh aggressive the female uh silver leaf wasn't a good eater going into brumation uh, once I was brumating everything else she kind of took off like a like a rock store and uh, now post brumation she's actually bigger than the other female uh, I, I, I hit my females pretty hard that are not breeding when they're not in brumation uh, during the winter because I keep my room at a, at a good temp uh, mm-hmm. with, with heat um, so I, I may go ahead she's in shed right now and after shed uh, pair her up Uh and eye are a little smaller uh, but they kind of follow the same rules as corn snakes so you know, your, your three, 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 roles. close enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're, they're, they're close enough. Uh, um, she, she's, she's definitely old enough and big enough to party. Uh, so we, we may throw them in, but other than that, corn snake wise, that's, that's the, uh, that's the, that's the family right now.
1: So I don't know. I mean, I've, tr- I've tried pairing stuff last year and this year before that first shed and I have yet to have really any luck with that so i don't know there's plenty of people that have done it but for whatever reason when i've the, you know the, the handful of times i've tried it i've completely struck out so i've pretty much given up on even sure. trying yeah you know, i just wait for that shed you know might as well i think that's when the females really really throw off the, the signals that they're oh yeah you know they're ready to go and i know the males they would breed regardless but the females just don't seem to be into it when they're in a shed for me at least and it could just be the animals i have who knows but um yeah
2: i mean in the first in three years it's the first time it's ever happened uh, so, oh really yeah and it's, it's a small uh I, i'll pair them two or maybe two times maybe three times mm-hmm. just to uh, you know uh, sometimes a couple hours sometimes overnight uh but not like a heavy like okay you guys are pairing now you just shed you're staying in there for three nights or whatever and,
1: right um, I, I mean i had females that were clearly on sort of the the other side of, of a shed cycle so they were getting ready to shed and i put the mail in with them just to see if if they would do anything, and the male definitely tried, at least with the one pair in particular, um, with my ladies island stuff, and he was definitely trying, he was giving it his all, but she just she wasn't into it. So I, you know, I just waited for her to shut out and put them together, and they they were locked up the other morning. So I'm going to be doing the um, another same female that produced the ladies island stuff from last year, but a different male. That's also a ladies island from the same general property, uh, and then the darker male that was the sire to that clutch. He's going to a Buford County. I, the, that little part of town's called Shell Point, so I call her the Shell Point female, depending, I guess, on how extreme you want to get with the locality stuff. Um, I've had that girl since 2018, and she was she was like fresh out of the egg when, when she was brought to me. Um, so those are going to go together. And Bairds are going. Elafe are going, by Maculata and Diones. Um I got those pied blood reds, and I put those together. They were shipped together in the bag, so I'm I'm thinking there's there's probably a decent chance that they they made something happen. It's possible, yeah. Um, so I, you know, they're together. Um, what else? Thorn scrub rats that I got from you. My man, they're together. I've the male's in the shed right now too, like deep in shed. So I don't know if if anything's going to happen with them quite yet. I haven't seen any action. Um else you I have that female from you that, from see, you, that ghost tessera
2: them, yeah
1: yeah oh, it would not surprise me given how uh, how sort of shy they are
2: yeah they're they're shy they're wild caught you you might not catch, the, catch copulation with them
1: mhm um i have that that ghost tessera from you that i'm probably going to end up pairing to that dark ladies island male anyways just yeah cause, you know the blood red stuff's in quarantine for the next couple weeks and F one uh, uh, I know you've already F1 you've already been roads, down yeah. that road, so. yeah. Yeah. Um what else? I feel like I'm missing something. I don't know. Mostly locality stuff with the corns and then the blood reds and you know that female from you. Um and then all the other stuff. Yeah. Well, we'll see i've i've noticed some locks i've noticed some action but I'm still waiting on some things to sort of come around and, and make something happen so
2: yeah you'll you'll kind of start noticing second year in your collection having bred some of those pairs or, or have some of those animals having bred uh, a little bit more comfort and then uh, when those hormones hormones start to spike it's not like in the wild where it's kind of you know free range Th- though right. you do a little bit of free range in your <laughs> collection. uh But you'll you'll uh, I I tend to see out of wild caught animals, you'll actually start seeing copulation in second, third, fourth year. It seems Mm -hmm. like to me. I'm I'm saying this from my sandbox, uh, and I think you did catch a little bit of copulation.
1: Yeah, I didn't. So I didn't see last year when I paired the ladies on stuff together. I did not see any actual locks, but they clearly made it happen. So I have no doubt that they will. It's just. You know, it's not like the, the Dion's, I put them together, dude. And I, I feel like they've been locked every day since I put that male in with her like a week ago. Like, they've just been constantly locked up. So Yeah, my, my o 3 uh
2: every time I put them together, they're locking up. They're just mm-hmm. ready to go. So And it's mm-hmm. it's kind of funny. The male's really shy, and the female isn't. Uh, the female's, I hate to say outgoing. Snakes don't have that necessary personality, but she she's a little bit less skittish.
1: More curious. <laughs>
2: Yeah. A little more curious. So whenever I put him in to her enclosure, uh, she, man, she starts getting the wiggles and the shakes and the jumps and pushing up against them. And I, I've seen two or three locks with them now. So you know, kind of fingers crossed that I'll get to, um, experience that species.
1: That'd be office. Awesome. That'd be office. Uh, but so line breeding, we hear it a lot in all corners of the hobby. Um, is there an official definition for as far as line breeding in the actual scientific side of genetics? Like, is there, is there a clear cut, like this is what we in the professional line of work call a line? Yes. Um,
3: so it's generally considered to be a strategic selective breeding, um, that is primarily inbreeding of close relatives in order to enhance or perpetuate a specific trait or set of traits, so that would be what line breeding is.
2: So strategic selective breeding.
3: Yes. More so specifically, this... strategic selective inbreeding. Because so, you're so breeding animals that are related. Because <laughs> they all have the same trait that you're mm-hmm. trying to continue, you know, to to perpetuate in you know, in high frequency throughout
2: the group. D- Does this harken back to uh, breeding of canines from a you ago? Know, I mean, yeah, it, Similar.
1: It, With it's, companions. you know,
3: b- basically anything that we have as a domesticated species has undergone this, you know,
2: it, it's cattle, almost like a
3: horses, cats, dogs,
2: micro uh, evolution almost, right? Like, yeah, we're forcing uh, evolution. mice and
3: rats in the lab. I mean you've got specific lineages of those. So yeah, it's about selective breeding. And if you want if you look at um dogs now, like sure. the whole designer dog craze which is really just mutts, but yeah, you know, you do the the golden retriever to the poodle and you get the golden doodle. And they tell you you can't breed two golden doodles together cuz those won't look the same as a golden retriever to a poodle. Well, it's not entirely true. You know, if you breed two golden doodles together, half of them statistically will look pretty much like the parents do because that's that bell curve distribution. Right. But then going outward from there, you'll get some that favor more of the, poodle parent and some that favor or poodle grandparent and some that favor more of the golden retriever but if you just keep breeding that 50% in the middle that all look the same then it eventually reaches the point where those outlier ones that look more poodle or more golden retriever those genes get culled out of the mix and you're just keeping that tight phenotype for golden doodle phenotype and that's Mm -hmm. how every dog breed has come about is you
2: know kind of been been invented essentially
3: yeah they you know you they find the traits that they want and they only breed the puppies that they have raised up that have those traits together and any of the puppies that don't have those traits they get cut out of the breeding pool so you're not perpetuating the genes that you don't
2: want so a word you used there that was very uh maybe pertinent to this conversation is lineage because uh, mm-hmm. we're not necessarily looking at different species lineage becomes important in this right
1: yeah well i mean to follow up the definition it's like then it's a question of and i'm sure there's there's wiggle room with this but depending on who you ask but at what point is a line a line like where do you draw the line that a line is a line <laughs>
2: that's a great question it
1: would be
3: at a point where you have stable passage of that trait or traits that you're looking for so if you are trying to breed a striped morph or a banded morph or something it's a line when you breed it and all of your offspring are coming out striped Mm -hmm. or all of your offspring are coming out banded And you're not getting, you know, just a smattering of different things, half banded, half striped, whatever, whatever. So it's it's that it's that sustained, stable perpetuation of traits per generation.
2: So what in in, in the reptile hobby, and this is good on this question, what what gives me the right to say And this may not be an answerable question uh, to say that I have a line of anything you know what i mean uh, it, it, you know we have this we could we could really look at this deeply in other species uh specifically leonis mex mex stuff like that yeah. uh where you have these lines of animals because they're not morphs they're not actual genetic anomalies they're not recessive or codom or what we would look at in Mendelian genetics but they've been line bred to the point of this is a a bloaty line pinner on a leonis or this is a a shores line ultra granite or you know So what, what gives us the right or the, 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 I I hate to say the word the right, but when, when, when do I get to say this is a pain job line, anery, you know what I mean? (laughs) 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 Well,
3: I mean, it's, there's, there's a couple of different factors here. So the way the hobbyists use line isn't always necessarily directly in dealing with line breeding. Like, if you, if you go out tomorrow and you find an anory corn, you know, if Justin goes out tomorrow and there's an anory corn that's just sitting out on his back porch.
1: That would be awesome. And he
3: brings that in, you know, anory is a stable Mendelian phenotype, sure. genotype, you know. But Justin could call that the Pometo Coast anory, and it would be the Pometo Coast lineage anory because it's a proven genetic factor and he breeds it out you mm-hmm. know, the way it is. Flip side, Justin goes out and finds, you know, this polka dot animal and he brings it in. And then later in the week, Jake comes by and he's like, Hey man, I found this polka dot animal. And Justin's like, well, I got a polka dot animal too. And then they breed them together when they get to be old enough And half the babies are polka dot, and the other half the babies just look like normals. And they keep the polka dots, and they move the normals off to the side. And then they breed, you know, polka dots, and now 70% of the babies are polka dot, and 30 are normals, and you shove the normals off to the side, and you breed the polka dots again, and now you've got... 85% 85% are polka dots and 15 are normals and you shove them off and eventually you're going to reach the point where whenever you breed polka dots, all you're getting are polka dots. Okay. And at that point, it's the long leaf palmetto polka
2: dot line. So uh, to, to kind of take a step back and, and you'll simplify this for me, you use a specific terminology there. You said genotype, and you also said phenotype. Yes. Uh, what's the difference in those two things?
3: So, a genotype is what exact genes the animal is carrying. Okay. A phenotype is just how the animal looks. And phenotype is dependent on genotype, but it's not necessarily a one-to-one in all cases. Okay. With with annery, the genotype and the phenotype are tied one-to-one. You know, if I have the anery gene and both copies of it because it's recessive, then my phenotype is anery. Okay. If I'm het anery, that's a heterozygous genotype, my phenotype is going to be normal because it's a recessive trait. Okay. Now, if I have something, you know, I, I don't know of any real linebred traits in corns. I'm sure they have them. I'm not being in corns but if we look at carpet pythons you know the tiger Mm -hmm. tiger is a polygenic trait so it's not just one gene that gives it that but you breed striped tigers together and you get more striped tigers okay now i can breed a really strongly striped tiger to a normal coastal and some of the babies will be a little bit striped some of them won't be those sort of striped ones. It's not really right to call them tigers because they don't have that full phenotypic expression, but they're still carrying genes that contribute to the tiger phenotype. So then okay. if I take some of those stripy ones later and breed them down the line and get full striped tigers out of them again it is okay to call those full striped tigers tigers tigers, because that's what they are they've got that tiger phenotype so the phenotype defines the morph there rather than the genotype
2: defining the morph so are these phenotypes and this gets directly into line breeding are these phenotypes solvable through any kind of mandalian genetics
3: yes and no um okay So, ultimately, everything comes down to genetics. Okay. Um, It's just a lot of people have a hard time coming to grips with the fact that, you know, if I say it takes nine genes to contribute to make a phenotype, Mm
0: -hmm.
3: any one of those genes or combination of those genes less than nine won't give you the exact phenotype. You have to have all of them together. But some Uh, of those genes, like if three of the nine genes are recessive, I've got to have the recessive pairings of those with the other six genes. If they're only heads of those three genes, you're not going to get that
2: full phenotype. mm -hmm. But you may still express some version of that phenotype. You may still still
3: express some version of that Uh, phenotype, which is again why I said like, you know, I can take a really nice tiger and breed it to a normal coastal and I'll get some babies that are still striped, Mm -hmm. but they're not that full tiger stripe. That's because some of the genes that contribute to tiger have a dominant expression.
2: Mm -hmm. Ah, okay.
3: But without having all of those genes together to give that perfect, nice, clean, solid, you know, bald back, you know, striped from head to toe or head to tail. It's not really a true tiger, even if it's got, like I said, I mean, you can think of it if half of them are incomplete dominant and half of them are recessive or half of them are dominant and half of them are recessive. If I breed a tiger to a normal, those babies that have some of the striping, they have all of the genetic potential
2: Ah, uh, okay.
3: in like a heterozygous form. It's just not in a homozygous form. That's why you have mm-hmm. to breed them to another animal that also carries those same genes. So now we're and not at that to just full combination.
2: Out. One genetic pair, we're looking at potentially many. Yeah. Okay. You know, so uh, I, I'll, I'll directly relate this to a corn-like animal. We'll, we'll talk about Emryi uh, rat snakes in the new Oasis, uh lineage of Milmorem. That's going to be uh, Pantherophis Emryi morum. They found many years ago here in Lewis County a stripe, a reverse stripe animal that was perfect. I've seen pictures of it. It is this thing is you, there's you look at it. There's no question. This thing is railroad stripes, perfect. They bred that animal in, and now they, I believe, um, a few buddies of mine and, and uh, even me myself, we've got down to like F threes. None of them have ever been as good as Dad. Right and now, he did pass a I, you know what I'm not even gonna say that he did. I don't actually know the complete lineage. I'm sure he may still be out there somewhere. but we're we're still breeding back and taking wild animals. and even in the first generation, we see uh, anomalies. We see aberrancies. Mm-hmm. right You can even in f ones uh, from that completely striped animal, reverse striped animal to a wild god, we saw uh, <laughs> relatively reverse striped snakes. But as they've started kind of breeding those back together, and again, they're, we're, we're, we're on to, I think, F3s now, uh, we're just now getting animals that are close. Yeah. Uh, so is that kind of that same, uh, what's going on?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's It's perhaps an easier way to think of it is basically when you're dealing with polygenetic animals, what you're dealing with is, you know, like triple or quad or quint visual animals. Okay. So if you think of it that way, you know it's not—they're not specific, discrete traits—but it's this—it has to line up the same way. So that that original reverse stripe animal, mm-hmm. say it was—it's five genes that contribute to that. Ah, uh, okay. And you breed it to a wild type. Now all of the babies are quint het reverse uh, stripe. Okay. So now if you breed those together, that's two, four, eight, 16, 32. So you got a one in 32 chance out of hatching an exact re- replica of yeah. dad again, Yeah, which isn't exactly the greatest odds. Right. And, and that's it, assuming all five of those genes are incomplete
2: dominant. Mm-hmm. That's you also know, assuming that it's only five.
3: Right. right. Right, I, I just grabbed five because it's a real easy, you know, two, yeah. four,
2: six, eight. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but but even then, we could be playing with genetics that look like a hundred individual. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm being egregious in my number, but a hundred different recessive or, or, or right things because our, our a, a genome on a on a, on a on a on a on a I guess the visual what we see in a strand of DNA is massive. It's it's, it's billions of things. If, if Think I don't yeah, know. It's I'm not uh, very smart.
3: I don't know what it is for corn snakes, but most snakes are between about 24, 000 and 36 thousand genes.
2: Okay. Wow. So even even if it was one percent of that genetic makeup that made any of these things happen, we're still looking at like what two hundred and fifty to three hundred and fifty something like that, right? It's yeah. it's a yeah. lot. It's it's a massive number. So. It would make sense that even if we took that animal, bred it to a wild animal, and we were looking to recreate that anomaly, our chances could be extremely slim, no matter how many years we bred it, as long as we grace this earth, right? Right. Okay. So that, you know, because we, 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 this is is good to this conversation because we find people that find animals, specifically corn snakes in the wild, and they show a, a genetic trait. Uh, and we want to try to, okay, I'm going to breed for that. You know, uh, the, uh, North Carolina corns that show a lot of silver and we want, we want to try to get that silver out of, I want to pull that silver out and I want to get it into my project. So I take that, that wild caught animal, gorgeous, beautiful silver thing. And I pair it to a albino that I know is a. Uh, line Linebred only has albino in, in, in its loins as far as a recessive trait, uh, so I'm going to make first gen hets that are albino, and I'm going to get the silver perpetrated in the first first uh, uh, set of babies. It's all going to be head albino, but man, mm-hmm. I'm going to start seeing something, and then, and then you see no silver, right? And and, and 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 so it's it's fair to believe that not everything is going to be that easy. It's not right. just a first generation kind of thing. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So, you know I mentioned. Like, lines in particular, if we're talking about corns, like, the first thing that comes to mind is Abbott line stuff. Yeah. Which does have a very sort of trademarked look to it. Like, you look at a snake, and it's, it's at least for me, and I could be completely wrong, I mean, I know there are wild corns that have, you know, I have one myself that looks very abbott like even though it's not an Abbott. you know? Um, but you see them at shows and stuff, and it's usually fairly easy to pick out, what's, what's got Abbott line stuff in it and what doesn't, but to anyone else, it would look sort of like just a really high contrast normal. Sure. So I guess sort of the question with that is like, that's when the whole question of at what point is a line, a line. And I know Abbott's probably been working on that for God knows how many years. Yeah. Um, but it's like, he got, even though it's, it's still like a normal phenotypically, he still had. He still did enough to get it to stand out. So I guess that's sort of like the the thing for me. Like with the line thing, is like at what point can you say that that is its own thing? But I guess if you're replicating that look, like Travis was saying, then you've you've pretty much you're you're there. Once you have that re- repeatability, I can sit right.
2: here and say that this pairing is going to produce animals that look like this, even if the parents may not necessarily be. Uh, phenotypically that, right? I could sit there and say, Hey, uh, this happens a lot. And we're going to be jumping between species on this. Uh, Mm -hmm. Gargoyle geckos. I breed a ton of gargoyle geckos. I have a lot of bacon line stuff. I have what are known as low expression, South Texas geckos, bacon lines. If you looked at them, you wouldn't be like, Oh, that's a bacon line for sure. But I have Mm -hmm. babies that come out that are so saturated with red that you think there's something wrong with them. Right. (laughs) But they're from that same lineage that produced the original bacon animal Mm -hmm. that people still use as their screensaver, even though they never saw that animal in their entire life.
3: And it's it's because the parents carry those genes. Um, An interesting way to think about it. Think about peacocks. Okay. Okay. I think about them all the time. (laughs) Don't we all?
2: I mean, (laughs) Um, for sure.
3: Obviously, there's a genetic factor that contributes to the males having those gigantic tails. Mm -hmm. But the males don't just get the genes for those gigantic tails from their father. They get it from their mother too. So the female carries the genes that contribute to the size of a male's tail, even though the female peahen doesn't have a large tail. So, you can have, you know, if you've got a breeding colony of peacocks, you can have one male that you're putting to four different females, okay, and you notice that one of those females produces males with tails that are significantly longer Ah, than the other three females, even though all three females look the same, Mm -hmm. you know. And they don't, have, they don't have spectacular tails or anything. Those females carry the genes. So it's the same thing like with your bacon line animals. Sure. Just because you don't see it in the animal doesn't mean the genes aren't there. Yeah. And that's where the lineage factor becomes important. If uh. I know that these animals came from the bacon line and they carry these bacon genes and I use them to produce babies that then produce bacon-like babies... It's bacon lineage. Sure. Okay. Now it's a little different from Justin's thing about Abbott, because like he said, those those are normal corns. Well, they're not normal corns. I mean, yeah, they're
1: they're, they're an exaggerated version of Right.
3: They're exceptional yeah. normals, but like nobody's gonna look at that and be like, Oh yeah, that's just a normal corn. I could but go and find that. That that comes back to um I'm very fond of saying collections are genetic. Sure. You know, everybody has their own eye for what they like. And so in even a slightly subconscious manner, we all pick and choose animals that drift towards the things that we really like to see in our collection. Mm -hmm. And you're accumulating genes that contribute to that over time in your collection. So all of your animals start to have this kind of signature look to them. Um, you know, this is where you you see this in carpet pythons, like, you know, M pens. Yeah. Like you will hear all the time, people can look at a snake and be like, that that came from Panel. Because, you know, Pinnell picked these animals that he liked and over time, just slowly, 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 the genes that he really liked kind of accrued into this classic yeah. M-Pen look. So that's the M-Pen line. Now, was he doing that on purpose? Probably not. But it's there now.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
3: everybody kind of just inadvertently, he created his own line of coastal carp. Or of Popwood carpets or whatever it is that Mike works with. I
2: can't remember. So, so, so let's say we take our... Oh, and again, we're going to talk about this Abbott line of, of uh, Okidi uh, corn snakes. Um, let's say there's 30 years of breeding put into this. That's 10 generations. Let's call it somewhere between 8 and 10 generations. they become so saturated in this heavy, thick, black border. right? Maybe it's 14 genes at play that make that specific thing happen in, our, in our, 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 our massive line of possible genetics that are being expressed. Uh, so that would make sense. When I take a, uh, I go to a show, I find a, a, a pretty little annery female that just looks kind of what we would consider in the hobby a normal looking annery. And I breed her to a, a heavily black, saturated, gorgeous abbot line, Okidi, And I get babies that have those thick, Dark borders. I know they're gonna be gorgeous. And I keep the best ones back, right? How many times do we say when we get a clutch? Oh, these are really pretty. Man, look at this baby, right? And mm-hmm. we, we do that every clutch. We every one of us does that. And we pick the best ones and we hold them back. Now I breed those two. Now I would assume that. Some of the anries now again, like you said it's not going to be every single one of them, but they're gonna carry on that thick saturated deep black border into even my first generation of my collection of uh, genotypic anries, right Yes okay. makes sense okay all right Oh huh. so it's a little a little little more than it kind of seems from 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 looking at it from the outside
1: yeah. I just, I think, so, like, in terms of, like, my ladies' Island stuff, like, I, long term, I want to see sort of what happens there. And this sort of ties (laughs) into, like, the outcrossing thing I wanted to get into, too. Um, Like, at some point, outcrossing pretty much has to happen, right? Whether it's near future, way down the line, like, before you start seeing genetic depression. I mean...
2: Actually, I think stopping right there is is, is 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 there's a good question. When 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 in the average species of snakes do you think inbreeding depression happens? So
3: so there the there's end is end no end hard fast.
1: That. <laughs> um, that was everything.
3: Yeah, I mean, this this is the joy the of it. Was, um, the You know, again, we're going back to dealing anywhere between twenty four and thirty six thousand genes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Is it possible that in the two original animals that you pick for your project, that neither of those animals has any kind of detrimental gene in it? Yes, that's possible. Extremely, extremely tiny odds, but it's possible. If you manage to hit those nearly impossible odds then in theory you could breed in, inbreed those animals in perpetuity and never have a problem okay, okay? realistically that's not going to happen every animal has some kind of mutation to its genome that's just the nature of DNA mm-hmm. and so over time if you're inbreeding Basically, what you're doing is you're creating homogeneity across the genome. So all of the genes, all of the allele pairs are the same. And even genes that by themselves are very weakly detrimental and can be overcome if it's just that one gene pair. Okay. When paired up, you know, with 2 or 4 or 10 or 12 or 20 other slightly detrimental genes, you eventually hit a, a crash-down point. Um, again, it's there's no hard set rule for when that can happen. Most people will kind of agree that after about 4 to 6 generations of inbreeding is where you start to see that accumulation Mm -hmm. and at about 10 is where you start to see very drastic effects happen but again it's not hard and fast you may have a pair of animals that just have some really bad genetics and in three generations of inbreeding you've hit that wall of just everything is going wrong with your animals. You may have animals that you got really lucky and you get out to 10 animals, 10 generations. And that's when you just start to start seeing some things, but it's nothing major until you get, you know, 12 to 15 generations.
2: Sure. So, and you know, this is also going to be species specific, I, I believe. Uh, you know, some of your like alterna or, or some of these animals that have these tiny little populations, it, it's thought to be that you you literally, you know, this is hobby talk, right? You, you can't inbreed them enough, right? Like, you have your boy scout road animals that's only found on that animal, but then again, how many generations have we gone down into that? How many people are on F5, F6, F7? Uh, you know, pairing babies, pairing babies, pairing babies, pairing babies.
3: Right, and also, you know, those people. I mean, yeah, it's a bitch to find alterna, but still, those <laughs> people who are into it, they still go out and they do it. You know, so exactly. like, I've got, I've got some black gap animals, and I really nice. like my, I really like my black gaps. Um, you know, it's not like my black gap animals are. 12 generations deep and they've never had any black gap brought back into them. Mm-hmm. You know, I got my animals from a guy who got his animals from a guy who got his animals from a guy, but along the line, like, you know, my guy also went out and caught some wild caught black gaps. Yeah. And yeah. bred them into his collection. So mine are black gaps, but they're not seven or eight generations deep black gap. Cause they've yeah. had infusions of black gap in them as well. It's and not Black just pure on top, on top, on top, on top, on yeah. top. Um, but then going along with that, you know, that hyper-fragmented nature of the alterna or the Alterna-localities mm-hmm. is they've already kind of gone through this, what we call a bottleneck effect or a founder's yeah. effect. Um, yeah. Because these populations are segregated from each other and very localized a lot of the inbreeding and deleterious genes that you have to worry about have just been purged out through the natural course of things you know okay. because yeah. conditions out there are hard as hell you know the babies that have got bad genes they're not making it and so yeah. those genes are getting purged out rapidly and there's high turnover of those bad genes until they essentially just get washed out of the population. Um, oh. You see the same thing with uh, crested geckos. Yeah. You know... That makes sense. Crested geckos have been bred in, you know... I, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that crested geckos are 80% genetically identical to one another across the entire hobby. It's you know, not there's more. 10 millions of the little bastards because mm-hmm. they had a very small recovery population from this bottleneck event that they went through in nature. Um, Rough-scale pythons, same type of thing. Their their geographic area is so small that inbreeding has happened to them naturally, and they have naturally purged those deleterious genes out. So those are those cases where, like I said... Rare that you get a population of animals where there's nothing deleterious in them, yeah. But they do happen and they do occur, and those those populations where they've already been through it naturally are are great case studies of it.
1: So would you eventually though see like a second wave of that kind of thing at some point?
0: Yes, you probably would would be like like a
1: merry-go-round where eventually it's gonna something's gonna come back around that gets mixed in and then gets continued to be.
3: Yeah. You, you will see that because even over, you know, just the nature of DNA over time, new mutations will pop up. And with those new mutations popping up, if you've got closed groups, then you start to enrich for them. And Mm -hmm. those, and some of those are going to be problematic. And so, you know, with DNA, it's one in every million to every 10 million Bases mm-hmm. gets translated wrong. So in along the lines there, you're going to start getting something going to that pop up.
2: Yeah. So, so on question with corns in a similar situation, Justin works with some animals that are insular, right? These yes. are, these are populations that are found on islands. Those are very small islands. Uh, you know, I did, did a little, uh, you know, Google foo and looked at, you know, just ladies Island. This is, this is a massive Island. Uh, Are these little micro habitats? You know, I've got to assume as a corn snake, you're not high up on the uh, predatory scale. I'm sure there's like an actual term for that, but you know, you're you're not high up on the food chain. Sorry, there is a thing for that. Uh, Pointed here first, food chain. Go ahead, guys. Hit me up, email for uh, the NFT food chain. Just came up with that. Uh, But let's assume that these these little insular snake. And they have their own phenotype. You know, they're a little different looking. They're a little, they're a little more specific. Um, are are those animals going to be a little more resilient to that? Right? Like, a, not a lot of those babies survive. Uh, I I bet out of a clutch of ten in the wild.
1: Seattle, it's a little different two? though because I mean we're talking about islands that are. Very close to one another. I mean, we're talking about small creeks and small rivers that are separating them. I mean, we're talking like a couple hundred yards at at the shortest. And that was what I was going to say. Is it's not like Biak, you know, with Chondros, that's considerably different and not a volcanic island or a volcanic island that was never part of actual mainland Papua. You know, it is like its own thing. It's not like that down here. There is, they can still be. There still can't be some travel between islands and things like that whether it's you know they're crossing crossing some of these rivers and stuff and I mean it's salt water so it's yeah. very high salinity salt water at that but take that for what you will but you know you also have uh, like land gets cleared wood gets thrown into the back of these giant like fema trucks and then taken to one of these islands and dumped and for all you know okay. so there's there could be transport there could is, be, there's, a transport, there's a there lot be things loose sort of there's there's, there's a like lot factors. of room for drift and things like yeah
3: there's there's a lot of genetic exchange still happening okay. there so all right it's those those island populations that Justin is dealing with are not truly insular in the same way, like he said, like Biak would be or, okay. you know,
2: the Solomon Haga Island Indian Boas
3: Indian. would be or, you know, things like that.
2: Or even going back and looking at our alterno where they're in a mountain range. Yeah, and, right. and there's there's, you know, between Black Gap and I guess the closest thing, you know, the Christmas Mountains or River Road or something in mm-hmm. that kind of southern region it's it's not even close right and they're not going to make it that far because of infinite amount of predators trapped you know whatever even and just horrible it.
3: horrible conditions in
2: between <laughs> them yeah yeah it also turns out it's literally unbearable yeah
1: interesting wow
0: I
2: know, It's a I
1: lot of, to see lot what lot to think happens about yeah. long term with those though especially yeah, since I'm, i know i have i've more than a pair i've you know the 2.2 and i'm sure i'll end up coming across more smaller ones that i want to add into at some point too but so so let's
2: let's talk let's continue talking about this uh, you know locality and line breeding let's let's say Justin takes his his two lady island and we're going to just focus on that one little little spot where you get a pair uh, in the f ones maybe we don't see anything too spectacular but we take an f1 and either take it back to a wildcat or take those f ones and breed them together and we start seeing what we would consider a genetic anomaly whether obviously it's not going to be an inherently recessive trait it's not going to be simple mandalian genetics we're not going to be like oh boom there's an anery, right mandalorian uh, maybe, genetics mandalorian genetics this is the way uh but let's say we start seeing uh some some com- connected saddling on, on our on our, our saddles on, on these corns and it continues to breed towards that my, my my kind of question and this is more of a i think i have an answer uh but I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. When is that no longer Ladies Island locality? When do we lose that locality?
1: I mean, when again, do you lose it, your Irish ancestry? Yeah.
3: Um, if all of the animals that you've contributed to it are the Ladies Island, then it's still all Ladies Island locality.
2: Okay. So even worse. are Ladies F6, Island
3: locality saddleback because okay. they've got that, interesting right. saddleback mutation or phenotype that you have selected for over time. But if you haven't, if none of the animals that have gone into that project are anything other than Lady's Island, then it's still Lady's Island
2: perpetually. So as long as we're using line animals and, and we're breeding them and breeding them and breeding them, they are still Okity animals. They're still Lady Island. We we still get to maintain our locality nomenclature on that. Yes. Okay.
3: Um yeah, you know, and like Black Gap is a real good example of that. Sure. You know, Black Gap has got Black Gap has probably got one of the most diverse phenotypic you know array mm-hmm. of all of the alternatives, because you know, you got those really nice saddles that have got the black mm-hmm. alternation lines in between them in the gray. And then you've got the patternless ones. Sure. And then Mm -hmm. you have, you know, the um the true alterna phase that basically have no yellow or no orange in them, but they're just Mm -hmm. black, gray, black, grey, black, gray. And then you've got the bullseye ones where Mm -hmm. they're you know, the Blair's banding has got that just and it's discrete bullseyes down. All of those are black gaps. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: And, you know, Nobody thinks to say that, well, because it's a bullseye, it's not a black cap, Or because it's yeah. patternless, it's not a black cap. It's just a patternless black cap or a bullseye yeah. and,
2: black cap. I'm an absolute alternate nut. And, and, you know, I found my first alternative last year. Uh, there's also been, what, t- 10 animals found actually on black cap, right? Like there's, there's, there's like, a, you know, one good cut, the headquarters cut. And then, you know, we're not now headquarters. Cut. Yeah. Headquarters, I think it's headquarters cut. But there's, there's, the, there's not a lot, of, you know, it, the, our, our sample size is also tiny, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's of these it's pretty localities. small. I think there, there are a few more
3: because, I mean, like,
2: there may be more. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm picking a number, but it's not a lot. Yeah. No, it's
3: not. It's it's not. It's not. A t- I, I want to say it might be as many as 20 odd. Okay. Yeah. Over time. But even then, I mean, that, yeah, that's not a lot.
2: Uh, you know, it's, it's very similar to the boy scout road animals too. Uh, that's which is going to be shooting towards the Northern uh, edge of that range. And I'm sorry that we're kind of talking about alternative, but this is all, uh, well, we're
0: talking
2: about. But, you, know, said, scout, you know,
3: we're going to be yeah. kind of bouncing all over because line breeding is something that's
2: throughout yeah. the hobby. Uh, boy scout road animals have a very specific, very Brown, very, this weird saturation in the orange. that You don't get a lot of orange in the banding, uh, these weird little things happen on Boy Scout Road. And, and and again, small sample size. Not a lot have been found. Uh, there's there's one cut on Boy Scout Road. Everything's been found by road cruising, which, you know, uh, bless Texas as much as we can. But road cruising is illegal here. We can't even do that. Uh, so how many people have found them and let them mosey on their way? Or, you know, uh, it, it's interesting. But, you know, we're, we're a little more relieved on corns. But that's not completely true because there's a lot of areas and phenotypes and localities and corns where we can't collect. Uh, there's there's mm-hmm. pine Georgia. bears, animals. There's Georgia animals. Uh, there's 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 phenotypes that we don't even know what they genetically hold. Uh, that 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 could be a huge lining line breeding prop probability uh, selective uh, selective uh, breeding probability. So.
1: Well, that was something too I meant to bring up earlier was, you know, there's the new South Carolina legislation that they haven't, well, that actually is, it's in effect, Um, you know, where you can't sell wild, like you can't sell wild cockcorns that are less than 21 inches. Um, Morphs are fine, but you know, smaller stuff like that, you, anything above that, you can't sell it. So it's like, if I breed my ladies Island stuff, and I'm into, uh, let's say, like F threes. I mean, couldn't I technically at that point be like, these are selectively bred; they're not wild, caught animals. Like, is there? I guess that's sort of the que- the main thing behind like, at what point can you say a line is a line? <clears throat> you know. And I mean, I'm sure in the eyes of the law and, and SCDNR, they're probably like, dude, they're normals. Like, yeah, these are clearly not. They're just corals. Yeah. But you know, you look at like an abbot or any of that stuff, and they're you know it's it's anybody who works out in the field long enough can tell you like they can look at an abbot and say okay that's not what we see normally that's not typical.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Uh, you know, there's also the Sherman line, which is very similar in that line breeding idea. But I can probably uh, guess. That a lot of these animals that were collected in the Okatee Hunt Club area, which was for, uh, I believe, a small period of time. And I don't think you can actually collect on that land anymore.
1: Probably uh, not. Everything's privately owned. Now. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you, you know, what's
2: to say that it, as I'm building my line, they are Ocatees. Am I not grabbing from, you know, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Howie Sherman produces this banger, uh, you know, Lee Abbott's got this other animal and you're obviously are not here to, tell you how that genealogy mm-hmm. um the lineage right boom there's that word lineage they don't Well that's that's say, the
1: thing is like I have those those absolute just insane jasper counties from Dan Parker that are selectively bred like line bred jaspers and they're the the like I was saying the exaggerated like extreme version of what you would find in the wild but they're still you know the the line between them and and those original animals isn't that that long, but they're very clearly not something you would find out. Like, if I went and saw a baby corn like that in the wild, I would be blown away. But I, you know, you'd never. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, what? It, it's tough to, to sort of navigate. And I'm sure they, whatever, like, leality wise, they're, they're not going to care. They're like, dude, this isn't an albino. This isn't an anery. This isn't any of that. It's just a, yeah. it's, it's a damn corn snake.
2: So, so we have this little anomaly. I'll go on a little rant with this. That happens in corn snakes uh that we have actually taken some of these localities and started calling them phases Um, we don't really see this in other animals that i've noticed but you'll 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 have people that in their own private collections through breeding will create their own okiti phase or will create their own miami phase those are the two that get thrown out around all the time now their lineage may not tie us directly to Miami or Okiti or Jasper County or, or you know, Dade yeah. County. Or, I'm sorry, it might not be Dade County. I don't know, Florida. Um, Okiti
1: and normal has become almost synonymous. And me right. and Jake talked about that at one point where it's like there is a very big difference between a normal and the Okiti stuff.
2: So, mm-hmm. so, so I almost say that rides on our shoulders to kind of tell people, you know, we've got Walter Smith's collections. Walter Smith's collection goes out to a bunch of people, uh, people like JT over at Silent Hill. A huge shout out, great animals. Uh, produces Miami phase, all kinds of different morphs. We have we have caramels, honey, cinders, mm-hmm. uh, normals. Right, we have normals that are perpetrating this look, and we still call them these are Miamis. These are Miamis, and it's textbook what a Miami would be. But how derivative of Miami, are they? And if I found an animal in Miami, you know, I'm downtown at the club, I'm hitting it with my boys, maybe i got some tequila in me, I walk outside, boom, there's a corn snake. Is that corn snake going to look at the line breeding that we've done and say, oh, shit, this is doesn't even look like a Miami face, right? You know, where's where do we go with that?
1: Well, how would that differ from, like, the Blairs phase and Alterna? I mean, that is a very clear, that's very clearly different from the other stuff. And like the Miami phase corns, you know, when I think of Miami phase, I'm thinking like this burgundy, saddles, silver body. Yeah. Like, that's what comes to mind for me. And I mean, that's, that's something that that's always been my impersonation or my interpretation of Miami phase, just from when I was going back to a kid, because my dad loved Miami phase stuff. And we were doing that. Like, that was his thing was like those silver animals with those just burgundy, like deep red saddles. Yeah. That was, that was his thing. And so anytime I think Miami, like that's what I think of. That's it. it you, you have that,
2: uh, phenotype ingrained in you. That's what it looks like. Right. And we all kind of, we can close our eyes and say, uh, you know, and, and, and Dr. Wyman, this may not, you, you may not close your eyes and say Miami and think of the same snake as me. And that's fine. Uh, but there, you know, we, we, we have it ingrained with a Miami phase and, and an O'Keefe phase. So are we correct and assuming that that lineage goes back to those localities, or are we correct in thinking that that is just a phase at that point?
3: So in this case, um, again, this is <laughs> where you with the hard, hard questions. You little, thought, little, you thought corn yeah. stars is going to be easy.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> this is, again, this comes into the sort of wibbly wobbly nature of how the hobby works. Um, Phase, in this case, we're using merely to mean phenotype. Right. So, like, I could have a Miami phase animal. What I'm really saying is it's a Miami phenotype. That does not make it Miami lineage because I can derive that phenotype from animals that, you know, were nowhere near Miami. Simply through selective breeding for the traits that make it look like a Miami
1: which I will say like those Miamis do exist in the wild but at the same time like I've seen some of the pictures of the ones that Phil has found you know being in Miami and they don't look anything like that you know they're not that gray you know that gray animal with the you know the red saddles like they're they're very much of overall they almost look more like the Keys stuff than anything else Yeah.
2: yeah Well, yeah, they, and, and, and as you would expect them kind of to, uh, of course they would look like Key's animals. We're talking a short distance in
1: range. But it, it's a similar thing with the Alterna, though, because you, know, you have the, the Blair's Phase Alterna, and then you have the other stuff, and you have the different varieties of even the Black Gap stuff, Black Gap stuff like you guys were talking about. So yeah. I think it's a very similar scenario in that case.
2: Yeah. Alterna, man, they'll get you, though. 'Cause you, you can have a two seventy seven animal that is quintessential textbook, Blair's phase. I mean, it is a Blair's phase animal. There are no massive orange saddles, deep dark border. True. Alternative. You can have a, yeah, true no, true true Blair dye, which true I think Blair is, die, yeah. True Blair dye. And then you could have a two seventy seven animal with a solid black head and no orange on it at all, looks like a hueco. I mean it, it, to, you well, know, there, and you can some... breed
3: two of those
1: Blair's animals, <laughs> and, you ain't and get end, up, end, up,
3: end up getting a whole bunch of alternatives yeah. out of them.
1: Mm-hmm. That was and always my yeah. biggest confusion with those. When when my dad was breeding those, was like he gets these animals that I mean, aside from like the Christmas Mountain stuff, which yeah. to me, I don't know if I'm wrong in thinking that those do have a very particular look that sort of makes them stand out from other stuff. You no, know, like Mountain, the ones River the ones that you got kind from of, me. Of, yeah. Um, but then yeah, he'd have like Black Gap stuff. And it would have no orange on it, and then you would get another animal that was a black gap, and it'd have plenty of that. Yeah, if I'm recalling correctly, and I'm like, yeah, no, I mean, how yeah. do you even gaps, decipher gaps these? Do that too. Yeah, and
3: again, in that case, it's you know the the blair phase and the alterna phase are describing a phenotype. It's not necessarily a locality type. You know, right. the black gap is the locality type, or the. 277 is the locality type yeah but the phenotype is you know alterna have basically two phenotypes they have the blair's phase which is that nice just solid switching between orange gray orange gray orange gray Mm -hmm. or they have the alterna phenotype which is just the gray with black striping gray with black striping
1: and I just I, I find it interesting because you have stuff like Chondras where like you can see an animal and you can have a pretty decent idea of what part of that of the range that it came from. Yeah, like there are it's it's not with some stuff it's it's not easy especially when you get into the stuff that's more close to another one another. Um, but like just it's and maybe I I I'm sure I just don't have the eye for it with Alterna. But you know you have those guys that can look at something to tell you. You know, They see the the minute details and stuff, and they're able to tell you these things. But, like, it's just surprising that it's not as easy with other stuff as it is with, like, condors and some of the other that are more obvious.
2: You you know, I think we find a little bit more, uh, if you showed me a corn snake, right, I could probably guess
0: Mm -hmm. what
2: region it was from. Uh, Alterna, man, I I, I bred, you know, that wild-caught male... Three mile to a to an F1 female, three male uh, or three mile last year. And, and dude, I have from almost no orange at all, alternative phase to deep Blair's phase out of the same clutch, right? Yeah. Like they're they're so diverse. But if I took that F1 and I bred it to another F1, or I guess that'd be an F1.5, we don't that's a totally another discussion when what a wild cut to an F1 is called, and I don't think it matters, but uh you know we could keep breeding three mile animals into the f3 f4 generation where they have literally zero color and we could breed these animals to where they're such saturated blares they look like you know these long blotch animals Mm -hmm. so and then again i'm going to keep the prettiest ones you're never going to see them right so so i'm going to keep the ones that i think fit my ideology of what those animals should look like but we'll do the same thing with corns that's it's maybe that that species a lot more variable than a corn, maybe maybe a corn. So actually, this is a great question. If you took a corn snake from the pine barrens, and you took a corn snake from the keys, though some of the coloration may be a little different, most of the patterning is the same. Uh, You know, Dr. Wyman, I would ask you, is there a reason that that happens over a, a 1,700 mile spread south to north, when we have another species of colubrid that's you know, 20 miles away is so, you know, you take something from the Wecos uh, over, I guess that would be uh, northwest of El Paso, and then you go to the Davis Mountains, which is just a couple hours away, and, and you couldn't pick two snakes that look the same. You know what I mean? See, They're that, so to different. Me,
1: that seems almost more like a speckled rattlesnake scenario, where it's mm-hmm. more like sure. the, the environment has, has dictated more of that than anything else.
3: Yeah, and that's what I was going to say, is it's, that's... That's the environmental pressure selecting for your phenotypes. You know, the animals that survive are the ones that best fit the environment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, yeah, the Pine Barrens down to Miami is, you're, you know, you're thinking, well, oh, that's completely different. You know environments, but really, when you think about it, it's not. It's you know, the East Coast is kind of just one environment. It's okay. warmer yeah. <laughs> versus colder, but it's still kind of just one environment. You know, it's it's that it's that smattered deciduous, mm-hmm. um, you know, broken up by open field land, and yeah, that's yeah. that's how these guys get by. Is they're kind of transitional animals. They can go between those two environments and a lot of times they live right on that borderland between them and that's why they've got that blotching is because that blotching is a natural camouflaging Mm -hmm. that helps break up the pattern in a very similar way to the light dark shadows that you get right on the transitions between open areas and forested areas. So you've got that whole open forested area running up and down the coast so that's why they've got that same pattern there versus out west and you know texas where it's like the difference between the environments even 20 miles apart is so it's radically different yeah. that yeah. you can, you won't have the same pattern because if you had the exact same pattern in the two different places one of them's going to stick out like a sore thumb
1: and so, having gone out there and seen the the variety of of habitat and stuff You know, it makes complete sense. You know, you look at like the pink coach whips that they have out there in Southwest Texas, and then you see the pink ass rocks they have there. And it's like, okay, it makes complete sense now. Like curled up in a pile of rocks with a bunch of these like random sort of reddish pink ones around the, you know, the area too. Like it makes sense. Yeah.
3: And then, you know, and then you get the ones that are like half pink, half black. Mm -hmm. Yeah and like you see that snake by itself and you're like what the fuck could make that happen <laughs> but then you actually see those areas and you know yeah half the stone is pink because it's in the shade but where mm-hmm. it's getting exposed to that full sun the photo reaction is causing that stone to turn black and so you get these animals that are half pink half black so that they blend in with that weird half pink half black environment
1: and, and I, I guess that would also copperheads yeah. Put copperheads and leaves; they're invisible. You put them on a black top, they stick out they're like a sore spot. But
2: look, look at copperheads. Well, let's say the Trans Pecos uh, copperhead, Caligaster, and uh, Trans Pecos rat snake uh, subox. You take them from Boy Scout Road, which is going to be towards their northern. And I keep saying Boy Scout Road this is going to be up towards you know Iran, uh which is actually a little bit more east, but north north of the West Texas. Take them all the way down to Black Gap, all the way down to the border. These
1: animals look almost identical.
2: There will be some color variation, sure. Um, but you have animals that look damn yeah. near identical.
1: No coincidence.
2: And it's like, well, why didn't these animals do the same thing that Lepidus or Alterna or, you know.
3: Because they're <laughs> inhabiting different environments. You know, different, Micro-environments different nippers within yeah. those environments. <laughs> you know, the ones that they're in are more stably consistent. So that's uh, why their phenotype isn't changing drastically across that range. I think so that's, that's why the, why North specs Carolina, are the perfect have...
1: example of that. What's that? I said, I think specs are like the perfect example of that. Cause yeah. you see specs in an area where there's pink rock and those specs are pink. You see them in areas where there's white rock. Those things are white.
2: Like this, this would also kind of make sense how we have Panther across the board, uh, you have uh, black rats in, in, in North Carolina and yellow rats in South Carolina. In these same areas, you have guttadas. These are these are in the same pantherophis complex, but maybe they're inhabiting different uh, envir- micro-environments within those mm-hmm. or, or, or fitting different niches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's why they're so different, even though they fit within that same complex. Yes. Interesting. Gentlemen, I'm going to step aside for
1: one second. I'll be right back. Sure. I'm going to ask Travis a really dumb question. Um, So, I mean, at what point should we outcross and with what should it be done with? I mean, normals of a different line or normals, uh, different line of the same morph. Like what's, if I, so like, well, I guess we'll use my locality stuff as an example. Like if I was going to outcross that to something would I be better off doing something that's that's more close to like gene gene gene-wise, a normal versus something like maybe a normal that's like a tessera or I'm having a hard time explaining this question without sounding like a complete idiot. Um I don't know. <clears throat> Ask and answer my question, Travis. <laughs> <clears throat>
3: Okay, so you want to know when, at what point outcrossing becomes necessary?
1: Like when is, when in in snakes in particular, and I guess this could be really anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be corns, but. um...
3: Well, it's, I mean, it's with anything in particular. And there's, there's a lot of ways you can answer it. The first way I would answer it would be you absolutely need to outcross the instant you start to see any kind of inbreeding depression going on. Um, that should just be a kind of a common sense type of thing. Mm-hmm. If you're noticing problems happening because your colony is closed, you need to get new blood in there because by that point, you've essentially already created a a toxic genetic cool okay. and yeah. you need to clean it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't have to wait that long. So, you can start outcrossing at any point in time to help keep those bloodlines refreshed and fresh. Um, if you're doing that outcrossing Again, probably subconsciously, but you can do it consciously. You know, if you've got a specific look you're going for, then pick animals that are not genetically related, but still have that same look. Okay,
1: that's kind of what I was getting at. That's while it's it's not
3: necessarily the same genes. Mm -hmm. One, there's a chance that it is, and two, it's a chance that. They're genes that are compatible so you'll still end up getting that same look
1: because the way I look at outcrossing, so it's almost like I guess stitching in a way so like you have like your straight line and then you would sort of go out and then come back in and then go out and come back in and not, is that is that accurate I don't I don't I don't know how to how to talk it's very clear <laughs> no, in my I brain, David. I what it We're
3: and um, this is going to be easier for me to draw. I also so, I didn't
1: take my medicine before I started, because so it makes it <laughs> a lot easier to concentrate and get these thoughts out.
3: So if you look at your inbreeding going, you're kind of going like this, and you're tightening down right, as you go. Mm -hmm. what outcrossing does is you bring something new in which increases this diversity. Then again, you're going to start to come down. So you bring something new in which bolsters your diversity and then you start decreasing again.
2: So it's like, it doesn't matter how long I've line bred something. I've got 10 generations in. If I outcross it, I'm still 50% those 10 generations combined. Yes. Okay. So, so here's a good one. Uh, why in corn snakes? And I, and you may not, this may not be a question you played on
1: answering. Where do babies uh, come from?
2: If I take a daddy corn snake rat and he has the heavy pains in him. No. So why in corn snakes do I have uh, 30,000 different morphs? And then in, in, in crested geckos, I have two. And these animals are just as fecunded. These animals are bred on accident more than any two animals on this planet. I'm guessing, other than humans uh, and dogs, and probably cats. Fuck cats. Uh, but what? Why? I have a bunch of recessive mutations in corns. Proven that the recessive. Some of them we found are not necessarily just recessive. Uh, ball pythons. I have a whole bunch of codom. I believe that's the right term. Don't get mad at me. I literally don't know, I've never dominant. touched a ball python in my life. <laughs> uh, I have never
3: codominant is not
2: a is not a thing. <laughs> Codom is not a thing. Okay, I've never Incomplete held a ball dominant. python. I don't actually know what a ball python feels like. Um, <laughs> no, right, Crested geckos. I, I have I know people that produce hundreds and hundreds. I know I know people that produce them in the thousands, and, and we don't we don't have any albinos. Why is that a thing? Is that an answerable question?
1: I think it starts out with your initial group. No?
3: I mean, yeah, it's kind line? of uh, Are you know, line? that that whole bottleneck purge factor. Okay. Um my guess would be that whatever made it through that bottleneck mm-hmm. none of them carried the gene for albino And we just haven't, you know, when Justin brought up the whole, you know, that merry-go-round where everything comes back around, we haven't had them in captivity long enough where the freak mutation occurs that albino pops up. Okay.
1: Well, here's an interesting, it will happen
3: eventually because I mean, albino is just one of those mutations that happens. Like you, you name an animal, and it's probably got an albino out there that's been, you know, seen, found, you know, kangaroo, koala, horse, elephant, lion, Black leopard. Racers. What? Black racers. Black racers. You oh, know. Well,
2: obviously, Travis, this is something you're intimate with, um, Alterna. There's an albino Alterna, right? There is not an albino <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> that's, that's a whole other, if anybody knows what we're talking about. Uh, yes. So, uh, <laughs> hey, huge shout out to the There's guys. an albino, right, Ruth assets. and I. Go fuck yourself. Uh, yeah, no, that, that's completely impossible. You don't get to take a, a leucistic and breed it to a het leucistic and get albinos. That's not how that works in first generation. No. And then produce what four albinos or some shit. Four like albinos. That. Are you yeah. sure? I I've done math. It's actually something I do often, and that doesn't work. Uh, so you're just saying that I just have a bigger sample size that's not gone through that bottleneck. I can go catch a corn snake tomorrow, out cross my line, and maybe have a a new morph called Wiggle Whomp or zibzorb, right? Like it, it, it doesn't. Right. Okay.
3: Because, you know, corn snakes, they're over such a huge range. They haven't had to go through this, this bottleneck effect where basically any deleterious gene was purged out of the population because there were so few animals left behind. Yeah. It, it essentially thousands
2: of thousands of years ago, right? Like this is something that happened through evolution.
3: Right. Okay. You know, and you know, That's again. That's why you see it in ball pythons. Ball pythons cover a huge area. Yeah. So, uh, just over the millennia, across that area, those weird mutations pop up. They're stable. You know. Yeah, an albino in and of itself is at a selective disadvantage because an albino sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. But the heads are fine. The heads look like normals. Mm-hmm. So that gene yeah. can perpetuate and float along and as under long research. as there isn't some massive constriction event. That means that there's only like a hundred ball pythons left. You know, if there's only a hundred ball pythons left in the wild, what are the odds that a het albino ended up in that pool of a hundred ball pythons?
2: Yeah.
3: It's so, really small, but when there's a, a hundred million ball pythons, obviously some of them out there are going to be carrying that head albino gene. And that's why it pops up.
2: And and so tying this back into Crested Geckos, uh, I think Crested Geckos, the Island of New Caledonia is like 7,000 square miles. It's a big Island, right? But it's not a, it's not a huge landmass. Right. And there are way more Crested Geckos in captivity than there ever will be in the wild uh, by a compounded amount. Uh, You know, uh, it's, you, you don't go to the very small island of New Caledonia and get off the airplane and get attacked by crested geckos. Um, whereas, and, and
3: they're not across that whole island either. They're only no, in a the very not. small area of the island.
2: Yeah, that's, you know, uh, I, I, again, I, I, back on gargoyle geckos, uh, they're so hard to find in the wild that as far as I know, a gargoyle gecko, they're also in like nickel mining areas, which are losing land very quickly. Well, yeah uh, I, I don't think a wild crap yeah i don't think a wild gargoyle gecko has been found in a very long time uh in fact i know uh, I, i've seen document not necessarily documentaries but people have gone looking for them and have not found them and you're talking about a fucking massive lizard that sticks to bark right uh probably hard to spot one but uh still um so that's what you're calling that bottleneck event. That's the reason why we'll see more, you know, corn snakes inhabit a, a very large part of the United States. Uh, as far as rat snakes go, um, to my knowledge, uh, pantherophus catatus actually has the biggest range of any uh, Pantherophis in, in, in North America. Uh, we would actually kind of say this in a different sense if we look at Pantherophis allegahensis. Uh, in the current taxonomy. Um, But if we actually break that down as previous taxonomy, you know, black rats, uh, yellow rats, uh, you know, William's eye, all that. Anyways, we're not going to get into that. This isn't a taxonomy episode. We'll wait till, uh, you know, we get somebody that deals with that a little more. But corn snakes have a huge range. So yes, it's it's a massive range. Okay. So we can sit here and think, uh, Massive, biggest range of any pantherophis in, in North America. I believe any probably any pantherophis at all, right? For sure. Uh, that makes a little bit more sense. That's why we have so many more. these things are found in the wild. Um, you know there's wild populations, uh, devils, garden anneries uh, that are that are that are known. so so that kind of answers that question for I know a lot of people have asked that. Uh, why? You know, a, they they've been bred, they're inbred on inbred and inbred again. I mean, if ugly was pretty, we'd call them a 10, uh, but we, we just keep going. So obviously there, it's a very commonly bred species, but on top of that, it's got a massive range and it's not bottlenecked by anybody.
1: Well, think about how many morphs have come out of just locality stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, like we talked about cinders and those came out of the, originated from the keys stuff. And yeah,
2: But, but look how much has come out of the keys. Uh, you know you're you're diffused you're your your cinders of course we talked about that they found albinos in georgia they found albinos in south carolina they found albinos in the palmetto's. palmettos palmettos man great thing to bring up Justin. the palmetto morph uh, travis
1: is like thing. no more
2: <laughs> why do we get bug eyes on leucistic animals
3: it's something that is inherently tied to the nature of the gene. Um, So, leukism deals with melanocyte migration and distribution, and the melanocytes are... They travel with a lot of other things, or they assist in the travel of a lot of other things, and One of those associations is what lays down basic, what's known as the developmental cup for the eye, which is the cells that start, you know, the formation of what develops into the eye. So if the cells there are traveling somewhat wrong, they don't lay down properly and the eye forms weirdly because of that. So it's what sometimes you get bug eyes because the cells just don't <laughs> lay down properly the way they're supposed okay. to.
2: So, in that sense, with palmettos, we have what I've uh, grown to call—and may be wrong—a uh, visual heterozygous. Is that my correct terminology?
3: Sure. Um, this is what sure <laughs> sure
2: isn't a scientific answer.
3: <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not. It's not. I mean. Yes and no it's scientific. It it's an incomplete dominant
2: okay.
3: animal. You know, yes, it's it's a visible het, but it's a visible het because in the het form it is incompletely dominant. You know, okay. the same way that caramel in carpet pythons is incomplete dominant, the same way that lesser in ball pythons is incomplete dominant. You know, this is it's a gene that with one copy there is a dominant expression it's just not the full sure. expression that you see when you have two copies of
2: that gene it, it seems very common with uh, leucism yes
3: okay. leucism uh, is very very commonly seen as an incomplete dominant
2: okay so if i have a gene uh, are you familiar with tessera in corn snakes
3: yeah a little bit it's a the stripe one stripe oh. back
2: it, it is one of the stripes, yes. Uh, so if I take a test for an animal and I breed it to a wild type, me and Justin are looking at doing that this year, I plan on getting 50% testers. That's, that, uh, That's the, what the, the calculator
1: the online told me.
2: That's what the calculator online told me. Uh, <laughs> I look at it in my Mandalian genetics and I say one big T uh, and one little T because I'm guessing there's not a T there to something else. I'm going to get 50% big T's on my Punnett square. Uh If I take a tessera to another tessera, Uh I'm going to get 75% tesseras. Uh That's how the Punnett square works. If I do that, there is an animal in that Punnett square that has two large T's. In in the hobby, we call that super tessera. It does not have a phenotypic look different than any other tessera. They all look the same. There's Uh no way to tell. What's going on with that?
3: So in that case, you're just dealing with a simple dominant gene, which means that in both the het form and the homozygous form, the phenotype is the same. Okay. And, yeah, so you breed a, a heterozygous genetic tessera to a heterozygous genetic tessera, and your punnett square says that you get a homozygous tessera to heterozygous tessera, and then the homozygous normal. Okay. So big T big T big T little T big t little, t little T little T little T. Sure. So you get three visual tesseras. Two of them are heterozygous, one of them is homozygous. Okay? And that homozygous is your super tessera.
2: And that super tessera bred to essentially anything gives you heterozygous us 100%.
3: tesseras across the board. Yeah. 100%, 100%. What about
2: now two supers together? We're also kind of assuming that it works on that simple mandalian scale. Mm -hmm. Is there a chance that it's actually happening on a bigger scale? Maybe this is nine genes and it's eight large T's and one small T and that's why you'll occasionally get one or two normals. (laughs) <laughs> I, 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 I thought about this, these questions for a while. Yeah, well,
3: that gets back to the line breeding thing. Okay. If there's nine genes contributing to it, then if you breed a Tessera animal to a normal, you're not going to get 50% Tessera's and uh. 50% normals, because you're going to get some random distribution of all of those T's and not enough of them are going to have... Well, none of them are going to have the exact combination of T's. Unless all nine of those T's are dominant. Okay. And then you have a 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512. One in 512 chance of hatching out a Tessera again okay so the odds of hatching out you know in a in a clutch of 10 the odds because of they... hatching out five one five twelve animals sure tiny. So, so you have to
2: have that full culmination of genes and that's gonna go back to that original conversation we had even though i find something under a rock <clears throat> that's expressing something that i think is just amazing and i breed it into a, a, something in my collection or another wild-caught animal and I just don't see that happen again. It may actually be a passable genetic trait.
3: It's just not a simple it's, Mendelian trait, right? It's, it's, it's a complex trait that's going to take more breeding. And that's why, you know, going back to Justin's question of, you know, at what point do we outcross and what do we outcross to? You know, I didn't like, I didn't fully close the loop on that, but, you know, with his Lady Island, you know, if he's going for a specific phenotype there, if he finds other animals in the wild that have that same phenotype that he's looking for, those are the ones that he would want to bring in for his outcrossings. Okay. Because the reason they look like that is probably not guaranteed because they have those same genes involved, but they're genetically distinct animals. So if you find an animal in the wild, that's got nice stripes or combined saddles, you know, call it hourglasses. You know, instead of having those bullseyes, it's got weird Mm hourglassy looking saddles. And then you've got another animal in your collection that you know is, you know, cinder diffused, whatever, that also has weird hourglassing. That's the one you'd want to use versus one that's just perfectly banded because at least that other one you know you're bringing two animals that have got that hourglass phenotype together. In that
1: same ballpark.
3: So the odds are you're bringing similar genes together which will work with each other
1: in uh, that manner.
3: It's cool. not a guarantee, but it's a better chance that it will happen that way.
2: Okay. Let's hit you with the, the next one that's another complex. And I'm kind of just going through corn snake genetics that are inherently... There's a lot of questions about these, and this is great for any listeners that are especially first-time breeding or looking to get into this and want to know. So I'm kind of hitting you left and right with these. Um, Ultramel. Have, are you familiar with the Ultramel gene in corn snakes?
3: It's the one that's allelic to albino.
2: Yes. So if you take an albino and an ultra, which there are, are, are actual visual ultras, which is a hypogene, that from the early 80s, may even be late 70s, and I'm not the encyclopedia on this. Ultramel to AML
3: gives you ultramel.
2: Yes, it, it takes one AML gene and one ultra gene, and you to get an ultramel. ultra-mel. Yeah. But if I take an ultramel and I breed it to an AML, I get half AMLs, half ultramels. Right. So the thought is it is both simple uh, recessive, but it takes one of each. Why yeah. is it that something like that can even happen?
3: It's it's um, allelism. So, okay. Duh. <laughs> easiest way to think of alleles is like suits in a card deck. Okay. okay. So think of your AML is the Ace of Hearts. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Wild-type is the Ace of Spades. Okay. And the Ultra is the Ace of Diamonds. Ah, okay. Okay. Now, if I have ace of hearts and ace of spades, my animal is going to be visually ace of spades, because it's going to look like a wild type, even though it's carrying the albino allele.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: If I have ace of hearts and ace of hearts, I'm an a animal. Okay. Because that's the recessive, and that expresses. If I have the ace of hearts and the ace of diamonds, I have the ultra Sure. And it looks like, you know, more ultra than amel because the ultra- is dominantly expressed over Amel. Okay. But if I have an Ultra and a Wild-type, the Wild-type, you know, if I have the Diamond and the Spade, the Spade is going to win out because the Wild-type is dominant over
2: Ultra. Okay, so it's pretty uncommon to see any genes that work like that where they can express their own type unless it's familiar in other species, I would say.
3: Yeah, I mean, we see it in ball pythons. Um, okay, we see it a lot in ball pythons. <laughs> <laughs> ball pythons are tough, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, so you've got you've got um, the albino and the candy. Okay, which then they give you the candino. Ah, um, you have you know all the different variants for Lucism You know, Mojave, Mocha, ah, Butter, yeah. Russo. Special. All of those are different leucistic gene combos. You've got the Fire Complex, the Black-Eyed Lucy's. You know, Fire, Vanilla, Disco, Thunder. Um, These are fucking
1: badass
2: names. Why do we got, like, (laughs) Ultra? You know what I mean? That's the coolest name we got. We're like Cinder and Sunkist. You're just over here. You guys have
3: fun names, too. Um, (laughs) This is is my new ball python. You've got the Black Black Pastel Complex. You've got... (laughs) You know, and they've got, you've, you've got the spider complex. You have, God, what else do we have?
1: It's my there's, thunder. There's so hit, many in ballpark. It's,
3: it's kind of stupid. How many allelic complexes, uh, the, the clown and cryptic, um, the chocolate, the Wookie, the spot nose. Of course there's a Wookiee. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but you've got it in, you've got it in boa constrictors. Okay. So, um. The Boa woman caramel and I want to say call albino are allelic. So okay. it's it basically does the same thing that ultra and ML do. Um, when you bring them together, you get what they call the paradigm.
2: Ah, um, so, so in a, uh, in ball pythons, I'm just going to, I'm going to separate there. If I take a Mojave gene yeah. and I have one small, I have the recessive trait and I take a lesser gene. And these are the two that I remember from 2003. I get a white snake, right? Is that white snake different than if I have two lesser genes or two Mojave genes?
3: Uh, sort of. Okay. <laughs> so if you have if you have two Mojave genes, okay the the blue eyed Lucy that you get from that is what they call a dirty Lucy. It's got it's got a darker head. It's got a okay. yellow stripe down the back. As they age, they develop a very yellow flush over them.
2: Interesting. Okay.
3: So that's what the Super Mojave looks like. The Super Lesser tends to be more cream white. There is a faint yellow stripe that develops down the back. The Lesser Mojave very strongly resembles the Super Lesser. Okay. In my experience, every single blue eye will develop a sort of yellow cast to it and develop a dorsal stripe that you can see visually. Okay. People are just used to seeing them as babies and they don't see them as adults as much. And they don't think about that or they don't believe it. But I I've, I've had my hands on a lot of them and I've seen it. Um, I had a hypo Mojave lesser and Without having them in hand, and it's even hard to capture in pictures. But if you have them in hand with next to a super lesser, they're about a half a tone different. Hmm. But you literally have to have them right next to each other to be able to see that difference.
2: Ah, okay. So interesting. So this, like, if I just
3: threw if I just threw one of them at you and said, "What is this?" you'd be like, hey, it's a white snick. It could yeah, be, be a to, like, super a lesser, them. it could be a lesser Mojave, it <laughs> could be a special lesser, I don't know. But if you had them together, you could say, you know, I don't know exactly what they are, but I can tell that they are they are different from one another.
1: Okay. I don't know how you keep up with all of it, though. I, I don't do you know how we keep up with any of, any of this.
3: Man, I, I can't keep up I with don't. all
1: core <laughs> things. It's just a That's matter of being immersed in all. i do this so I can learn myself. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, it's it's,
2: it, it, it's it's just like anything else. Uh, you know, it's you work tri- trial and over and learn and learn and learn and learn. And then you get stuck in the combos, and you've seen it so many times, and you've morph marketed it so many times. And yeah, it's uh, interesting. Really interesting to see that that does actually happen in other species. I didn't know that at all. I mean, like I said, you see it all
3: over the place. Uh, it's in retics, it's in berms, it's—I mean, it's—it's it's all over the place with these things. So,
1: so the final thing that I wanted to bring up, and I know I've talked to you about this before, but I figured it's a good time to talk about it again, and that is with my F ones for my Ladies Island stuff. Mm-hmm. I know I had asked you previously about if I had paired that to something that uh, any morph combination or morph you want to talk about, whatever it is. <clears throat> I guess, <sighs> assuming that, that whatever morph in particular we want to use is inbred a lot and you outcross it to one of those F1s like you had drawn earlier where it sort of opens things back up a little bit, how does that not throw such a curveball into what, like those single file sort of line bred genes to where you don't see something more radical? If that makes any sense.
3: I mean, it does, but it doesn't. Um, <laughs> you're, <laughs> not, <laughs> you're, you're not doing something wanted. more radical because while you're bringing, you're bringing a lot of new blood in, which is helping to dilute out essentially all of the, that accumulated bad genes that you had, mm-hmm. you are still principally and primarily looking at a Mendelian trait. So if you breed your wild caught animal to a Tessera,
1: which is going to happen,
3: right? All no. you, all you kind of care about is that Tessera gene. Mm hmm. So you're going to continue selecting for the Tessera gene and not all the other wild type genes that carry along with it, at least not intentionally. But those wild genes, you know, if you had, in addition to Tessera, say you had a a gene for smaller eye and a gene for Collapse rectum or something, yeah, you know, all yeah. <laughs> the time. The wild type animal is going to have the good genes that counteract those two bad genes, uh. so you're bringing those in, and those good, clean genes are helping to flush out, you know, the, the promotion of the heterozygosity of those bad genes, and so then you can take that outcrossed tessera and breed it to another tessera and you're not as likely to then end up tessera but also homozygous small eye homozygous rectal collapse
1: Mm -hmm. I guess the way I'm I'm sort of picturing it is like if I'm line breeding and we look at that as like a ladder Mm -hmm. and we're looking at the F1s as like the ground that that ladder is sitting on how is it that nothing like you don't see any sort of drastic results from those two, like that, that line bread stuff coming back down to basics or am because, I just not looking at it in the right, right way?
3: Well, it, it like I said, it goes back to that, you know, you've got 24 to 36,000 other genes. Mm-hmm. One of those genes is playing into the Tessera. Right. really only the Tessera gene is playing into the Tessera.
1: So that's why so, you don't
3: see like a full system reset. Now, so, if you have, you know, the, the Abbott line mixed into your Tessera and your Lady Islands are like the exact polar opposite of Abbott
1: mm-hmm. and
3: you bring that in you're going to have this kind of reset. So what you get out of that is not, it's not going to be super abbot mm-hmm. looking because you're, you're pushing a lot of those abbot genes away by bringing the wild type genes in. Okay. But you can then take that, you know, half Abbott and breed it back into an abbot. You can get the homozygosity of the abbot genes again to make it look really Abbott. Mm-hmm. But then the other bad genes that are in there are so hopefully getting offset by those good, clean genes um, that you brought in from the wild type animal.
2: So, so to some extent, it'd be fair to say uh, Justin's got a couple of uh, Ladies Island corns, uh, this beautiful, creamy base, uh, this sharp orange saddle, uh, you know, a thin but defined black border on that saddle. <clears throat> We're going to breed it to my uh, female ghost who is a uh, homozygous uh, hypo. Uh, homozygous anery. it's also tessera. So, and, and we I, and I know through test breeding that that is not a super tessera, it is not it is not a two large gene, it's a one small, or one small, one large. We're going to get 50% tesseras, on perfect math, right? You know, we're talking about a small mm-hmm. sample size, 10 Statistically, to 16 eggs. Statistically, yeah. we're looking at half tesseras. Now, those tesseras, it doesn't matter, that entire clutch is going to carry the lineage of both animals' color-wise, phenotypically, wherever that animal came from, maybe it's an Okatee animal or a Keys animal or a North Carolina... Hell, it's a Pines-barren animal. We don't don't know. Uh, It's going to get those genes, even though they're not expressed in the animal that is already expressing the morph, right? Because we're only seeing this very light-colored animal. It's going to get those genetics equally as much as it is the Ladies' Island genetics. Yes. Okay, so we're... Now, if we found a Tessera in that clutch that was very Lady Island-like, had very... It expressed the genetics of a Lady Island, and we bred that back to a Lady's Island corn, <clears throat> now we're going to start seeing something that's way more phenotypically Lady Island, but with the Tessera gene expressed. Right. Okay.
1: I guess but, maybe the the reason that I, I wonder so much about it is because in terms of like chondros, when you have the designer stuff, and then you take a nice... Bioc that was a red neonate, I guess even a yellow for whatever you know, that I guess doesn't matter as much. But you throw that into the designer stuff and it just it it does wacky things. Well, that's because you're making a hybrid. Oh well, <laughs> hold on a second, damn it. <laughs> I think get that
0: in the I mean honestly,
1: in if I
3: take it if I take a really nice Bioc and I throw it on top of a coastal, I'm gonna make some really crazy
2: <laughs> shit. Oh man! hit uh, up with the Falcons, Dr. Dr. Wyman. We're <laughs> <Proud> out <of> here. <laughs> Just so an hour, fifty minutes, forty-four seconds. I'm in, saying, crush his soul.
1: I have. I'm fully aware that it's making hybrids, and I don't even care because Condors. Awesome. But I'm saying, I, I, my thoughts as far as Bioc being thrown into that is because Biocs genetically are are like eleven percent separated from the mainland stuff. So I think that plays a pretty big part in it. I could be completely wrong.
2: But maybe, that's, different maybe species.
1: that's why I'm subspecies. Get it right. Um, I mean, the potential just, full
3: species. Natush yeah. said that he just didn't want to go that far. It, he would leave it up to somebody else to make that leap.
1: But I, don't, I mean, when we look at the range of corn snakes, though, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'd be curious to see how genetically different stuff from the Keys is from stuff up in Jersey. Well, sure. A, those were different
2: species. But,
1: yeah. No, originally those
2: were different subspecies,
3: but (laughs) just given the distance, you don't, you do not have the geographic, let me, let me get all the way through this before we contradict myself on it. You do not have the geographic isolation component there that you have with the green tree pythons. Like you have a very distinct set of mountain ranges and valleys and stuff that broke those animals apart, so that their genetics drifted. With corn snakes, they're it's more of
1: like a fade,
3: right? There's there's okay. a constant. I mean, while a Miami animal and a New Jersey animal are essentially genetically unique from one another, mm-hmm. they're there is a free range and exchange of genetics between them across that gradient all the way up and down the coast. Because a Miami animal can breed with a Tampa Carolina, animal can yeah. breed with a Jackson or a, an Okatee or Okie Finoki animal can breed yep. with a Savannah animal. You know, they can yep. breed all the way up and down the coast and there's genetic exchange. All the way along the way, you can't have a Bioc animal with the genetic exchange across to, you know, Sarong and Aru and mm-hmm. everywhere else yeah. because they've got that isolation component
2: to them.
1: I, every right. episode of the podcast, I got to bring something back to Condros. So,
2: <laughs> well, you know, I'll do the same with the Alternate. You know, it's the only it's way sacrament. I can understand it.
1: It's sacrilege
2: to take a Boy Scout road and breed it to a Black Gap, right? Like you don't do that. you Because right. you
3: don't see that genetic yeah. exchange in the wild. Because no, yeah. there, no Boy Scout road animal is going to be able to just truck its ass all the way over to Black Gap. It is yeah. going to die. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, it's not going to make it all the way down it's Boy Scout. It's road. a gauntlet. If you've been there, you know it's it's like it's not getting on Highway Seventeen. It's not going to make it. That's interesting so so we can we can just kind of look at it geographically to decide that it just wouldn't work okay hmm. And if if you look at the most northern peak of corn snake pine Barrens in that area and the southern most uh, reverse peak of corn snakes, they're not that different right You'll get color differences but you'll get size differences too. That's a big thing size you know down in Florida corn snakes are a hell of a lot bigger than they are the further north you go. Well, that's because
3: uh, they're not going to sleep for half of the six months out of the year, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, interesting. Very interesting. I think we've, I think we've, we've thrown enough really dumb questions at, at for the Eve. I wouldn't say any of it was dumb questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like I said, it, it, they're very clear in my mind, but when it comes to me actually speaking them, then it's just like, it doesn't, it doesn't. I think it's good me. to
2: get a lot of this on air because, uh, you know, we, we can sit there and we can internet foo a lot of this as much as we want. We can Google all this, but you know, actually talking to somebody who's, you, I mean, chewing the fat, Doctor Wyman, you could probably care less about corn snakes, but genetically, you're you're ingrained in genetics. You know, yes, I, mean, I am ingrained in genetics, and I I mean, my
3: first my first real true pet snake was a corn snake. You know, I I I when I was 14, I bought myself an Amel corn, my hell own yeah. money. 150 bucks was a lot of money to a 14-year-old back then. Didn't a nothing, lot for an AML corn. Years. Years. And that 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 son of a bitch made it to 20 for 24, 25, I don't know. He made it a long damn time. I mean, That hell yeah. Made it through junior high, made it through high school, made it through college, made it through moving to Georgia, made it through marriage, birth of a child, getting through grad school, moving from Colorado to Georgia, Georgia to Maryland. Didn't just say that I had a corn snake in Georgia. Ignore that. No. (laughs) I didn't know at the time. In fact, I didn't know until about a week before I left Georgia that they were illegal. Allegedly. Yes. Well, no, actually, factually.
1: <laughs> Janet Wyman, roll with us. for saying allegedly to help you.
2: Go ahead and hit us up at offtherecord.com if anybody has any issues with minor uh, you know, public records. Uh, go ahead at offtherecord.com. Check them out. It's a great website.
3: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he, he made it all the way through all of that, so... He was a tough little son of a bitch.
2: Yeah, I appreciated him for it. You know, the, the entire Guttatus complex, and I think as me and Justin move forward with this podcast, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the other Guttatus complex animals. Uh, very resilient, very bulletproof animals, very adaptive animals. Uh, you know, for the most part, very passive animals. Uh, very, very great complex to be to be uh, dabbling your hands into.
3: I mean, and I would, I would mostly recommend them well as a good beginner s- snake. My only caveat there would be, I would advocate people try to get older animals before that, th- you know, when they get into it, because if you're new to snakes and you're having to deal with that little worm, that is a mad freak escape artist. And also yeah. a little cantankerous <laughs> son of a bitch. Cause they don't like <laughs> you when they're tiny.
2: Nope. They don't. I-,
3: I can see how that might push a lot of people away over time but you know you get like an animal that's eight months 12 months old i mean at that point they're bomb proof they're a lot more calm and mellow they're still potentially escape artists if you're not keeping them properly but they're less likely to get out than that little shoelace that can slide out yeah pack shims is
1: cheap
2: uh, or just free range like Justin, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. it works. Out. I mean,
3: I, I I can't give Justin too much shit because you know.
1: Yeah, I've had a free range kookery now twice. Everyone <laughs> has in our little group, and it's been glorious. It I have me never laugh. had a it free makes me range so anything. freaking happy when Day or anyone else is like, "Man, this got loose." I'm like, "Ah." This, this
3: this kookery's pissing me off. The fact that he figured out how to slide the glass door open on an AP cage.
1: Well, it's because it's an AP cage. You didn't get it from blackboxcages.com.
3: Uh, Come on. Black box didn't exist when I got this cage. <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> so Dr. Wyman, it, you know, in the future, is there any plans on you maybe getting a couple corn snakes and messing around with some of the genetics? We know involved? some guys. I know a person. I know people. <laughs> I,
3: I don't know. I mean, I've thought about it, but I'm... More Get and more, I'm finding my stuff. I'm finding my taste drifting to just the weirdest shit possible.
1: Uh, because cobras are cool <laughs> as hell, dude.
3: Yeah, they are. They're mean little bastards, and they'll bloody the hell out of you. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, for those of you who aren't in our little group Crazy. chat, I, uh, uh,
1: Jesus,
2: nice. Those are, that's a serious bite from a small snake.
3: Yeah, he's he he, he
2: messed me up something good. I, I have found my o3 ophis are the only snakes that can bite me, as they're retracting their head, as they're as you're holding them instead of striking, they'll actually rub their head against you, just open their mouth and just it's and really like, weird. Yeah. O 3 are weird. They're 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 a great uh, complex to mess with, but uh, yeah. very weird animals. I say weird. Maybe weird. it's very weird. common. But. I mean,
3: they're yeah, but you know they're 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 oddballs, you know, and that's that's what I'm finding myself, you know. The kukris, the beaked snakes, the calabars, the scaphiovis and stuff. I'm, I, am i I've, I've fallen down this hole of finding weird scientific papers and thinking, oh hey, this would be a fun snake. And I'm, <laughs> right now, I'm thinking I really want mole snakes. African True. mole snakes are freaking
1: bizarre, man. Yeah, they are.
2: What about cool. like North American mud snakes? Stuff like that. They're gorgeous. It's much of a I pain really in the ass,
1: dude. Hell no. Never heard of anybody ever messing with them. It's because they, they eat uh,
3: the crayfish, but only after they shed during a certain time of the moon or something. Yeah. It's weird.
1: Moon. Yeah. No, they eat. Uh,
2: mud. You heard it first.
3: Sicilians? Oh, yeah. the I'm thinking the queen snakes. They're the ones that oh, eat crayfish. Yeah. 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 Amphiumas. Amphiumas and Sicilians yeah. and Salamander. No, yeah, and no, I don't want no, no, to have to deal with That's I've weird. already I've already got a giant ass cage for one morning gecko, because I, <laughs> I, I I got a small morning gecko colony for some snakes that are obligate lizard feeders and I yeah. couldn't I couldn't transition them as imports in and I ended up with just one morning gecko left over out of all that. So now I got a twenty four by twenty-four by thirty with a single morning gecko in there.
2: You know, geckos that breed easily that are easy to take care of uh crested geckos are like
3: oh my kids easy. got
2: crested geckos okay i was about to say those babies freeze real well They just you know, stop I, I,
3: and see that's what i said she she had babies popping out and i was like i could take those and i could use them and she's you know she gave me that <laughs> face and I was They're like, so cute. Cute. i'm not I, I won't i won't feed off your babies
2: you know, I, I originally bred Mitratis, uh in my colionics group to feed the Alterna or the Mexicana kings. because I was like, oh, the babies are perfect, like it's the right size. They're Mitratis tiny, yeah. A little bit bigger, yeah. And then and then they hatch and they squeak. They make these cute mm-hmm. little noises. No. I was like, I, I can't do this. I can't do this.
3: Well, the adults squeak too. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a, uh, I had a variegatus. That's sort of you want a you want a old oh, an old timer little bastard, fourteen year old.
2: Wow. Go ahead and uh, join us next time on Coleonic Stars. It's going to be a great podcast. We're going to be starting here soon. <laughs> I love Coleonic's Kole- are exceptional. Oh, they're, they're awesome. They are
3: absolutely awesome. I love that little monster. And yeah, I mean, yeah, they squeak as adults. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. he if you
2: if you'd go in the room
3: and he saw you, he would he go. <laughs> eh. Eh.
0: Yeah,
2: they're just, <laughs> yeah, they're they're hilarious. They're Find them and in the wild, and they're amazing. I mean, for, a, for
3: for a lizard that's only this big, you know, <laughs> they're tiny. He'd, he'd stand there and he'd push his chest up when he'd see you. And then you walk towards the tank, and then he's like, oh, shit, and he dives back. But
2: <laughs> and the little tail goes, they get the little tail wag. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the wag, the wave. It's cool, cool species. Mm-hmm. All right, oh,
1: awesome, guys. Yeah. yeah, so this was episode four of Corn Stars, brought to you by BlackBoxCages.com and SilentHillReptiles.com. Check out both. Facebook, Instagram. All good people. You can't go wrong with either of them. Uh, no idea what we have planned for the next episode of this very show. We pretty much fly by the seat of our pants with this one. Um, but... Tomorrow, THP 154 is happening. We're having Zach from Equator Equatorial Ecosystems join us. There's going to be a lot to unpack in that episode because he keeps a ton of stuff. He's got nice. dart frogs, he's got boas, he's got blood pythons. He's big into plants, so who knows what we'll what we'll get to with that one? But looking forward to it. And then Snakes and Stogies did not happen over the week um, on Monday because Phil was herping with Dr. Luthman, so. I guess he found that to be more important than than the show. How I, I wouldn't have done the same thing. I know. I told I told Crawdaddy, I was like, I hope it was worth it. He's like, oh, it was. So, <laughs> that'll be back Monday, though. Uh, yeah, they, found and a, they found a king, right? They, I think they found a couple. I don't think they found just one. Wow, that's and awesome. They, they, were, they were pretty healthy-looking kings, man. Down in Phil's neck of the woods. Florida. Yeah, so... Thank you, everybody. We'll see y'all.